If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I hope you all are having an amazing week. We here in the Midwest are enjoying a little bit of spring weather, which is kind of crazy because we're not, we're just in the middle of February and it's like 70 degrees today, but the other day it was snowing, so it could turn on a dime. So you never know what's going to happen. It's definitely interesting times. Um, such as yesterday morning when we all woke up to either having our cell phones not working or hearing about it on the news on everywhere. It was all over the place. All kinds of things you'd think the world was coming to end for a moment yesterday. Once again, there was all kinds of misinformation out there and it was easy for people to go down a rabbit hole of, is this it? Or is this some big nationwide cyber attack? So admittedly, I did that at first, but when these kind of things happen, I try to immediately go to, um, you know, uh, cybersecurity experts that I know in the industry and see what they're saying and listen, because I feel like the people I know in the industry and the people that you all probably know, we all know a lot of great cybersecurity experts out there. I feel like they're the ones saying, okay, calm down. This, you know, this, this could just be anything, but um, let's not listen to all the misinformation. I think when these situations arise, you know, we need to take a breath and a step back and make sure we don't overlook the security basics. You know, again, um, there's so much hype right now about all the AI and the advanced tools out there and techniques, you know, and practices being deployed that sometimes we forget that the basics um, go a long way on keeping our business protected in our homes and our personal life. You know, once a cyber attack happens, it's often, it's probably going to be too late if you don't have these essentials in place. We, there's so much chatter going on around the world right now about you know, some pretty scary predictions or projections of what could happen, you know, from Russia or China on our infrastructure. And I think the cellular outage yesterday magnified that fear. So today we're going to talk about the cybersecurity essentials. You can never, ever talk too much about that. My guest today is Demetrius Combs. He's the CTO of Sovereign. I recently ran into him out in um, our Phoenix cybersecurity conference. For those of you that don't know, we put on cybersecurity conferences um, all over North America. It's a great place if you're looking for cybersecurity experts. That's a great place to go to our events and educate yourself on what's happening in the world. Well, he joined our panel discussion, and it was it was really nice to finally meet him in person. He was the former uh, CISO for GoDaddy for I think about seven years, so he's no stranger to the stresses of worrying about the aftermath of keeping our infrastructure safe from nationwide um, attackers. So I'm very excited to have Demetrius on the show. Welcome to the show, Demetrius. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here. 
So how is everything going in Phoenix? How's your weather? I, I hear it's like a little cooler there than normal. It's a little cooler, but it's 74 right now, which is really Oh, cool. well, that's not that bad. Yeah, you know, that's really cool for Phoenix now, so it's okay. Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, that's is that a treat when it gets like that for you oh, all? This, this part's a treat. It's, it's you know, the July and August time frame when you walk outside at 10 o'clock at night, you can still see the heat waves coming off the, uh, the blacktop, and you're like, that's a little too warm. Yeah, I've been out there when it's like, oh, my gosh. I don't know. And you all love it out there, so... It's a beautiful Phoenix's Scottsdale. All of it is really beautiful. I had, I just was ran into a friend of mine last night and she was, they were going next week to Scottsdale and she was like, it's a little chilly there. And so that's where I got my information. I didn't ask her what chilly meant to her, but 74 is certainly not chilly. <laughs> so I, I, Nine yesterday, so that might be chilly. You know, it's it's not quite in the seventies. So, so tell us, like, so you've had quite the career path, and um, like you know, I always love to start the show with just kind of getting to know our guests. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got in this industry and your career path, and you know, you spent a long time with GoDaddy, and now here you are at Sovereign. Um, just for our listeners, tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. I was I always like to tell this because I actually started out as a chemist. Like I actually have wow. a degree in chemistry. Um, my first job was actually as a chemist uh, working for a company named Gojo. If you have, um, if you've ever worked on a car and you know that really smelly like goopy soap, like that's how the hand mechanics washed their hands. Um, it was called Gojo Hand Soap. I actually ended up working for their medical division. I was actually on the team that developed Purell. Um, when it first came out and then worked on a bunch of surgical scrubs. Um, but really my passion was always around software development. Uh, so I actually started writing software to automate the labs, then got hired by uh, a few telecoms, especially during the deregulations in the, in the 90s where all the uh, telecom companies were being deregulated and they could expand out the different things they were working on. Um, and through that, ended up learning a lot about assembly and just love software development and ended up working for a company named Internet Security Systems and ended up working on their X-Force team because I knew assembly. So they were like, here, here's a virus. You should try to reverse engineer this since you know assembly so well. And that's really how I got into security. Uh, fortunately slash unfortunately, fortunately because I love games, um, about a year after I started in the Working for Internet Security Systems, I got an offer from a video game company, um, Electronic Arts, and then spent 15 years building massively multiplayer games, but still spent a lot of time in security because I don't think everybody knows this, but in the early 2000s till about 2010, until about all the games started really being purchased online and autumn and you know authorized online, um, only one in every four games was actually legally purchased. Um, most of them were clones or copies or that sort of thing. So we spent a lot of time in those years trying to come up with ways to ensure that the game that the customer was playing was actually paid for. Um, and then in 2015, I got a phone call from uh, GoDaddy to come over and work on as a VP of engineering. I worked as VP of engineering for a couple of years, then got asked to uh, help the company move out to AWS. Um, in that move, I got asked to take over security for um, the products running in AWS, and ultimately, at the end of at the end of that cycle, I got asked to also be their CISO. 
was a CISO there for three and a half, four years ish. Um, even though I was at GoDaddy for seven. Um, and then, uh, in April, 2022, mostly just because I had been in GoDaddy for seven years, loved the company, love everybody I worked with there. Um, just was looking for a change. I uh, went to an ad tech company named Sovereign. I've been the CTO, um, and still, still do a, quite a bit of security there as well. I mean, we don't have a CISO, so I end up, uh, handling much of the security there as well. It's a much smaller company than GoDaddy, um, about, you know, it's a mid-sized company compared to GoDaddy's, you know, 5 billion or so in revenue a year. So that's the that's the history. Well, that's pretty awesome. It's funny that you worked for uh, two companies with Go. With Go, yes. uh, yeah. it is. It is. So, so, um, so now that you're the CTO, I mean, it sounds like you probably, if they don't have a CISO, you're encompassing all. I, right. and the I, security the security team reports to me as well. So, yeah. Um, so, what does Sovereign do? What What do they do now? So they're an ad tech company. Um, the biggest product is an exchange. So essentially when you see ads on a web page, it's, it's what powers the open internet. So rather than needing to have everything behind a paywall, you know, the, the people that write blogs and everything else need a way to offset their expenses. So they put ads on their page. Those, those um, ads normally, when you go to visit the page, they basically say, here's a section of, here's real estate that I have on the page and um, here's the interest of the reader that gets sent to us. We then open up an auction and talk to a bunch of advertisers. They then bid on that spot. The highest bid then goes back to uh, the publisher of the page and they choose which ad to show. If the ad gets shown, then the advertiser pays us and we pay the publisher after that. Um, it's basically how you know the open internet is powered and how it's paid for. Well, it, that sounds pretty fun. A lot. I mean, all everything I just talked about too also happens in about 300 milliseconds. Wow. We do it 120 billion times a day. So wow. the scaling portions of it is a lot of fun to work on. So when you, you know, when you woke up yesterday and you heard all this, you know, cell phone stuff happening, what's your first reaction? Do you just go like, go start seeing what's going on and what other people are saying? Or how do you react to situations like that? I usually do a couple of things. One, uh, I immediately go to the, you know, the, the standard, you know, security websites and see what's going on there. Cause I, I, I probably didn't much like what any of your listeners did was assume that that's some sort of attack. Um, I don't know if we've had confirmation of that, but, um, I always had interest in the way wireless communications work. So my initial brain went to like, oh, it must be an SS7 attack, which is like the low level protocol about how you get handed off between towers. Um, ultimately, I don't think that was it, but it was um, it, that that's the that's the mental model I went into it with until, you know, roughly halfway through the day, it started to come out that at least that was never confirmed. I don't know if we actually have the actual um, root cause yet. Yeah, I don't know if we do either. It's just, it's so hard to, you know, just, you just have to wait. I mean, because if you listen to all the different, everyone has an opinion, you know, so whose opinion is right, you know, so I just, um, 
you know, it seems like, and then all of a sudden they started saying like there was something going on with the pharmacies. I still haven't really investigated that. I just wait and see if my prescriptions come when I, when they're supposed to come. So I, did you hear a little bit about that yesterday too? The pharmacies. I, I don't, I don't really know anything of what that's about, but I, when I was doing, you know, some research, I did see that Sunday. I, I don't know if there was, well, it wouldn't have been on Sunday, but I guess there's been some congressional hearings on, you know, these big cyber attacks, you know, from, you know, they say from China that, you know, they say, you know, that it's supposed to take the whole country down through our infrastructure. And, you know, that's a scary thought, you know, like, do you, do you, you know, do you think that would ever happen? that they'll be able to take the whole, I mean, I would think that our intelligence in the United States, that hopefully that would never happen, but it could, you know? I mean, I'm definitely no expert in critical infrastructure other than there are some, there are some countries that consider DNS resolution as critical infrastructure. So that was one of the things that while I was a CISO at GoDaddy, especially Europe um, had a lot of focus around DNS resolution being part of critical infrastructure. But the rest of it, what I've learned, like just through being in the rooms of security, is that we are definitely like our tech is definitely susceptible. I mean, like even look at the SSS SS seven uh, protocol I talked about. Like that was developed in the seventies, and we still use it today. I mean, this is like the low level, like how how you hand off from one tower to the next as you go driving, you know, driving across the country. There are definitely security, like it has the security mindset of the 70s, not, you know, 2023 or 2024. Um, but my personal belief is, and again, I don't have a ton of background here, but we don't have like one piece of software that runs everything. So I think our... Uh, heterogeneous uh, setup may very well protect us from a full country attack, although that doesn't mean that individual power companies and that sort of thing wouldn't be susceptible. So what do you, with your security teams, what are the essential things that you want to make sure is in place every day and your advice, just the basic things that probably people are still not doing? You know, let, let's kind of hone in on some of those that, you know, because I think some people are just so overwhelmed with, well, I, you know, I don't know what to do, you know, so they don't do anything. So what, what would your advice be a starting point? And let's just kind of build from that. Cool. So, I mean, I'll start by taking a step back and just saying like, you know, you hear all this stuff about AI and you hear the complexities of the tax and you hear, but at the end of the day, they always come back, come down to, you know, there's either a misconfiguration on a server, there's a human that did something they shouldn't do, there's, you know, a password that's too weak, someone clicked on a phishing email, you know, these are the prominent ways that the compromises uh, happen. So I always go back to, back to the basics, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to know all your assets. If you're a security team and you don't know where all your assets are, how can you possibly protect them? You can't protect what you can't see. And then second, like, do you have the policies in place for your employees? Do they understand what's expected of them from a security standpoint? Um, do you have, you know, identity and access management set up so that, you know, if someone were to get compromised, 
can you quickly turn off all their ac- access? Like there's many companies out there that still to this day will have like every employee is using their own laptop and they're connected to, you know, 10 or 12 different tools the company has, but there's no single sign on. So therefore, if they were ever to be offboarded or you have, you know, you have a compromise or anything like that, turning them off becomes a effort to do rather than that, rather than just, you know, I go push this button and all of a sudden I know they're all offboarded and they've lost uh, access everywhere. Um, when, if you had those things in place and you have an inventories in place, do you know if your servers have been patched? I mean, this is another one, like, you know, the, the, the compromises out there, especially nowadays where you see the attackers more and more moving towards easier targets. You know, there's, there's still, there's still groups out there that will target an individual company or an individual but many times, this is just like, hey, such and such piece of software just enumerated this particular security hole. You go out to showdan.io, you find everybody on the internet that's running it, you download the exploit, and now you have a way into those networks. So again, like the basics of making sure that you have a vulnerability management program so that you understand where your threats are at. Make sure that your patching is up to date and make sure that you have policies and standards that you've communicated to your customers as well as your employees on what is expected from them and where where does my responsibility as the you know head of security for the company end and you as the employee pick up or you as the customer then pick up. So it's crystal clear where that handoff point is at. Even if someone doesn't read it, the actions and the and the way that you start approaching those problems and the way the security team starts to communicate will start defining that line, even if they haven't read, you know, you know, how many employees have actually sat down and read their employee handbook or read all the security standards at a company. But if you rally around that, the line will start to show up just in the actions of the way the security team interacts with the employees or with their customers. So do you find like from where you are now to being the CISO at GoDaddy where you're you know, you're probably was more responsible being at GoDaddy because you guys are housing, you know, companies because you're their web host, you know, you're hosting their website. Did you you feel more pressure over there than where you are here as far as vulnerabilities? I think the pressure is different. I mean, GoDaddy simply because it was bigger and you're right that they were a hosting company. So there was this sense of shared responsibility So, you know, did my security team at times at GoDaddy need to investigate a a potential security event and it turned out not to be us, but the customer that happened, you know, decently often because customer would call in and say, hey, I've been compromised. It must be you guys' fault. And you find out that the customer like had a password, a password on their SSH or something like that. Like, you know, I don't know. That wasn't overly often, but, you know, you do have to investigate those things, which means the amount of work and um, need to react quickly is a little higher. However, at Sovereign, because we are an exchange, we, have an, we, we, we do have access to a, quite a bit of you know, privacy laws. I mean, everybody's heard about the deprecation of the third-party cookie, the focus around making sure that you know, advertising companies aren't tracking individuals as they go between browsers and between machines. There's quite a bit of compliance-related things around that that up the pressure in a different way for Sovereign than, than GoDaddy. But again, I'd agree with you, the, the pressures were definitely higher on GoDaddy simply because they were also publicly held. So there was other standards to be held to. And I mean, you had 20 million, when I was at GoDaddy, we had 20 million customers. So 
you know, we have like 6,000 at the company I'm at now. So there's a, a pretty large difference. And it's not apples to apples comparison either because customer means, means slightly different things. But, um, you know, the the pressure and the and the immediacy of things at GoDaddy were definitely a lot higher. And we are all, and GoDaddy is definitely a larger target simply because they're, they're a well-known name. So I have noticed in the past, growing the past year, you know, you, you, I'm all over the country. I know a lot of CISOs and CTOs, the C-levels, because they're always keynoting our events and sitting on panels. And, you know, since what's, where's your fear as far as I'm seeing a lot of CISOs leaving their positions. I'm not sure if it's by their choice or the company choice. And, you know, with some indictments that had happened last year, what is the, is it a riskier or scarier place to live in your shoes right now? I would definitely say that. I mean, we talked about a little bit about FutureCon, which was a great event, by the way, thank you for throwing that on. Um, but, um, you know, if, you're seeing, you know, we've now had what three CISOs now be, you know, charged with, uh, charged via either SEC, SEC or by the federal government, but we don't get the Section 16, you know, privileges slash protections that the other finance, uh, fiduciary responsible groups do, especially in a publicly held company. I think this is something that we need to resolve. Like, fine, hold the CISOs accountable. That's perfectly fine. But then they should get the same uh, protections and the same benefits that any other Section 16 uh, employee does for a publicly held company. You know, like the chief legal officer does or the CEO does, that sort of thing. You know, there's a lot of focus there. And some of it, I believe, is out of fear just because some of these attacks are pretty complicated and we're looking for somebody to hold accountable, which somebody does need to be held accountable. But the complexity of like if if what's being missed right now is if i go like if i'm the CISO of a public health company and i go into the board meeting and i give my update and i'm not in the closed door section right afterwards and in that closed door session oh we're not going to do this we're not going to do this and i don't have say in that room then i don't understand how you can hold the, the CISOs accountable at the same time right they need to have the same visibility as this chief legal officer does the ceo does you know, usually what the chief financial officer does as well, like they need to have that same visibility. And that to me, that that's a discrepancy that we're going to need to resolve before we continue down the path of attempting to hold CISOs accountable. Which is a really, you know, risk, scary place to be in because you guys are the most important people to keep us protected. But yet, if your company is not going to protect you legally, you know, and have some sort of clause in their, you know, in, in their whatever your employment agreement is, you know, is that a time? Are we in a time where, you know, we're in a very vulnerable time for you know, bad actors to come in because, you know, that this may take some time to sort out, you know, it could be a couple of years before, I mean, I think it's bad going to happen before good happens, you know, and that's a scary place to be in. I just, I've never seen so many CISOs leaving jobs as I've seen them leaving jobs this past year. I agree. So. There's also like, there's already a shortage of CISOs across the planet already. And there's a shortage of uh, quality security, security professional talent to begin with. Then also adding, you know, this wild card where, you know, maybe the FCC is going to come in and, you know, charge you for something um, without that, you know, without that level of not necessarily protection, but support. Um, 
I will say, you know, at GoDaddy, I definitely got the support. I thought I thought that the team supported me very well. Even after I left, uh, there were still a few uh, compliance things that needed to get done, and I felt, you know, that they supported me pretty well. So, you know, I think there are companies out there that step up to it, but it's not as guaranteed. It's not like it's not part of the first line of conversation when you hire a CISO, but it is part of that conversation when you hire a chief legal officer, a chief financial officer, a chief executive officer, this is this is where I think we need to move that move that together and also look at where we have our CISOs reporting, right? There's a lot of places that still have CISOs reporting into their CTO, right? And maybe that's fine. Like every, I'm not going to dictate how companies should put their organizational model together, but you know, does that mean that that CISO is actually in the room while we're making critical decisions about the company? Are they in the staff meetings with the CEO so that when the you know if an acquisition is going to be right around the corner, that they have good visibility of those things and compare properly, or is it we finding out after the fact, then a breach happens and then we get held accountable for it. Like these are the equality things that I think we're going to have to work on. So it's going back a little bit to some of the basics and some of the stuff that you talked about, it might be over some of our listeners heads, you know, some of the things that, you know, that you threw out there that should be the basics, but, um, let's go back to a few of those like your you know your security team how big roughly is your security team that you have right now oh it's sovereign it's two like it's two okay at GoDaddy, yeah. how big was that security About team? and then what were the requirements of that team like did they you know was GoDaddy educating them and they needed to make sure that they were staying up with their certifications and all of that i mean what what are the requirements are there are there like legal requirements that security professionals have to abide by? I don't know of any legal requirements. There are, I mean, like any other field, there are uh, certifications that will help. Um, you know, my personal belief is like certifications are a nice way of, you know, showing what you know, but like any other certification that's out there. I mean, you can cram for the test and not really know it type thing. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think experience goes a long way. Living and breathing through those situations goes a long way. Like you can have your incident response certificate, but if you've never actually run a breach before or gone through a, you know, a, a critical infrastructure problem and need, you know, and you're up for three days straight and you're blurry eyed and you got to make decisions on imperfect information. I'll take that experience over someone to pass the test any day. <laughs> so like living and breathing, it's just, you, you get more out of it. Um, not that anybody wants to live through those things, but you know, you do learn quite a bit through it. Yeah, I guess that's why some of these, I mean, we our, our events are great. We're very lucky that we get really good speakers that come in and educate our attendees. But I know there's like, you know, other trainings, I believe like SANS and stuff that you can go in and actively, you know, do a hack and stuff and the big conferences, but not everybody can. A, you know, one of the things that we do at our events is we stream our events because not every cybersecurity practitioner can even leave their office because they are short staffed. Exactly. So that's why we continued running our events in a hybrid mode. And we get hundreds of people, thousands and thousands throughout the year that are watching us virtually and they're able to, you know, obtain their certificates, you know, for for just, you know, educational certificates for um, attending conferences. But um, 
I forgot where I was going with that, but it was just, again, you know, I was just saying there's some great training out there, but with the shortage of security professionals, not, you know, people can't even leave to go become certified. So, you know, and then there's a ton of people out there looking for jobs too. So where is, I, you know, I see it all. I have a pretty large connection and I'm always having people reach it. I have huge connections on LinkedIn and I'm always having people reach out to me, you know, asking if I know if anyone's hiring. So it's, it's just, you know, how do you connect all those dots together? Yeah. I think some of it is like, um, if uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with the uh, Night Dragon Investments, they're a uh, investment firm that is. I uh, am actually, yeah, capital to you know mm-hmm. uh, some cybersecurity companies. Um, Dave Dewalt is you know, yeah, one of the yeah. great, great guy. Um, one of the things that they did is they started investing in like uh, Thrive DX, like these these companies that are also trying to educate. Um, cybersecurity professionals and then also partnering with the government to start talking about like is there areas we can start to look for cybersecurity professionals that we traditionally haven't looked for in the past so that we can grow the list i think some of this is twofold where like we have a lot of cybersecurity openings there's a lot of people looking for a job but they're not getting matched because most companies want a cybersecurity professional with five years experience and has this certificate and this other certificate and the third certificate and not everybody has those and like i'd love to see us move to more like a you know at least in some cases some sort of apprentice program so we can train these folks up and start filling this gap because having someone there and having the opportunity to train them up while there is a bit of an investment from the company side we also have to close this gap and this huge gap that we have between the needs of security and the and the humans that we actually have trained to actually be able to fill those type of roles yeah, I'll have to, he's always been, Dave DeWalt's been on my bucket list to try to get on the show, but, you know, with the people that we see all over the country, you know, there may be some synergies there that I should talk to him about because, you know, it's just interesting. I didn't know that Night Dragon was doing anything. I know all about them and I know his history and he's, you know, he's a very wealthy man. So with all the things that he's done in the industry, so good for him. Work over his career. There's no doubt. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm William uh, Lidster, who happens to be our keynote speaker next week in Seattle, had um, a comment or a question. He said, I would offer that a CISO, I would offer that a CISO that has gone through the breach was once uh, blacklisted. I think if you can get a CISO who has gone through a breach, I think LinkedIn is messing this up, that this is a valuable CISO. If it's if it's not a matter of if, but when, then we shouldn't blacklist the CISO whose organization has been breached. Well, as long as the breach handling went well. I guess, again, I kind of get where he's going with that. Do you understand what he's saying? I do, that? and I thank him for, for bringing that up. As a CISO, that, you know, this, this is all publicly held information, but I mean, as a CISO that 72 hours after I took the role, found out that we were, we had some, uh, security event going on for six months before I started. <laughs> um, that was, you know, to go through that, I call it, that means that as a CISO, you've been battle tested. Like you've actually gone through the breach. You've you've worked with your external comms folks and you've written the email that's going to go to all your customers and you're going to put your name on it because you're the CISO, even though, you know, this happened, you know, six months before you started or whatever, like, you know, 
going through those things and understanding it's like anything else. Like it's, you know, why do you take martial arts? Right. So that the first time someone throws a punch at you, you don't have to go through that, you know, all of a sudden that stunned look on your face when that first happens the first time. And, you know, if you're done any martial arts training, like by the 500 punch, you like, it, it isn't stunning anymore. It doesn't, you know, like you don't have that hesitation. You just know what to do next. I think I agree with the, I forget the gentleman's name, but I agree with him that, you know, this is, it's going to happen. Like we have humans working at a company and humans are intent are fallible. And sooner or later, we're, you're going to have some sort of security problem, knowing how to go about it and making sure you understand, especially if the government gets involved, the level of documentation you're going to need to answer their questions is beyond what I think most people understand that they're going to need. Like, they went down to the minute and to the second of when, when you found out things, when you're going to get it communicated, how it was communicated internally, who did what, who exactly found what, you know, so they can do the interviews and actually walk through that. It's like, I, I liken it a lot to what the law enforcement has to do during any kind of investigation. Like you need to have that level of documentation that goes along with it. Thankfully, at GoDaddy, I had a really, really excellent staff that could, that could, and got on board very quickly to do that. Um, it's you know that 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 type of rigor and due diligence i don't think any everybody understands until you've actually lived through it once well we at futurecon happen to love godaddy they support us and um they support that you know their security tool that they use for our spam and stuff is actually one of our big customers so we like that too but yeah. you know they're we we love godaddy we've had nothing but great things with GoDaddy and we're a small company. So I think for smaller companies, you know, that they, you know, do act a lot as our security, you know, we use them for all of our security and stuff. So you probably were behind building that out. So kudos to you on that. Yeah, but I mean, GoDaddy is a large company with a lot of really good people working there. So yeah. And, you know, um, again, going back to, you know, just trying to match up, you know, all those, like, how do we, how do we get things, you know, in a working order almost again, as we were talking about, you know, all those unemployed people out there that are trying to get jobs and, you know, it's just, it's, it's astounding to me that there's so many unemployed people in this industry, but yet there's such a demand for practitioners. Right. So much of that has to do with, I think, we are like as a companies where we want somebody to be able to come in and just handle it. Right. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like you, you hear it from a lot of the college graduates too. Well, okay. I need five years experience in order to get this job, but how do I get the experience if I can't have the job? Like there's, there is a bunch of that in security right now. And I think there's two ways of getting there. One, we need to educate and get more people into the system. And second, I do think companies need to look at more creative ways of bringing cybersecurity professionals on. You know, maybe they, they've shown interest, maybe they've, you know, done one of their tests, but don't actually have any hands-on practical experience. Like if you look at it as like, hey, I can partner them up with somebody that's, you know, has five years experience and I'll partner with somebody that has, you know, just their degree in it, um, you know, maybe that will help, you know, that will expand the number of talented folks that we have and also be able to plug those gaps. Yes, there is an investment from the company side of being able to invest in like, you know, they're, they're not going to be, I can't just give them go right, you know, go start a vulnerability management program, 
see you in three and see you in two months when it's done. Right. You actually have to help those folks get through it, but they're going to learn a lot through it. And you're going to, you're going to get that benefit every day afterwards. And I think this is the tension in the industry where we want really solid professionals that have been there, done it, but there's not that many. And one side or the other hasn't quite, um, I don't want to say lowered the standards, but lowered their expectations a little bit so they can train folks to that level rather than expecting them to come in the door with that level of knowledge. Do you think this is a better time for consultants and VCSOs that do you think this is a really marketable time for them because of the, such a big shortage of security staff? Yes, I also think it's anytime the economy takes a bit of a downturn like we're in right now. I think that that also helps those types of roles because, you know, it's it's. You know, why does when things start to downturn, you tend to hire more contractors than you do permanent folks? It's it's for all those same reasons. Um, I also think that there is, you know, I liken it to like the gig economy of like Uber and that sort of thing. You're seeing it more and more in the professional realms of like fractional CTOs, fractional CISOs, that sort of thing where someone's like, I need somebody to come in to guide the company, but I really can't afford, like the cool part is, it's important enough that they're at least want a fractional person in place now. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a few years ago, I think it was like, oh, we just don't do that and we'll just leave security on the ground. So it's gotten important enough that we're now considering it as, you know, more and more often. And I think that that is another area where I think it, it gives us some flexibility to bring some uh, folks into the industry and let them get uh, experience that way as well. And what are your thoughts like between, you know, for security practitioners that are new in the industry, you know, the difference between a four year education or just some sort of boot camp or, you know, technical training school that they go to? So, um, I mean, it's definitely about what you know. I mean, I have a degree in chemistry, so I don't have a degree <laughs> in CS and I don't have a degree in security. But like to me, college is about college is about learning how you learn so that you can apply that to the rest of your life, right? So I don't know if you actually need to have a, a degree in security to be in security. You don't necessarily need to have a degree in software development to be in software development, but you do as, as the employee need to commit to knowing the things that folks that come out of college know. In like the software development realms, like if you don't know big O notation and you're trying to work as a software developer, that seems weird to me. Like if you don't understand like the basics of like data structures, that seems odd. If you're gonna, if you say I want to be a security professional, but you don't know what CIA stands for, and you've never heard of threat modeling, and you don't know what a vulnerability management program is, then you're not putting forth the effort to understand the basics. So I wouldn't expect the company to put forth an effort yet either. So, so <clears throat> kind of taking another twist and turn. So as the CTO, CISO, when you're, you know, there's, you've been just to our event, which is a smaller, you know, when you're talking about an RSA or a black hat with all the vendors, you know, is that overwhelming having so many different choices? And, you know, are you the kind of person that sticks to what you like and doesn't step out of the box to try something new? And where do you think, you know, the leaders in this industry should be on all these new technologies and these new companies, you know, how, how do you wrap your hand head around that? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the last question first. Um, you know, I think because 
AI is cool and sexy and like everybody wants to jump there and you know there's cool EDR tools and XDR tools and sims and like but if you're starting at a company that literally doesn't have a security program yet like you have to start at the basics like and I always start with like you got to enumerate you know if you don't have an a database of all your assets then you can't possibly be protecting anything because you don't know where anything's at and then like from there like can you patch everything can you control access to your own services? This is like the IAM policy stuff and that sort of thing and make sure that like there's a single sign-on type thing so that, you know, in an event that you need to term somebody, you can do that and have confidence that when you turn it off, they have lost access to the company's critical information. Um, you know, and then once you have those basics in place, like, okay, I know where all my, I know where all my hardware is at. I know what the patch level is and I know whether or not it's been patched. Now you can start looking at like, all right, every day there's new vulnerabilities that come out. How do I make sure if I'm, how do I make sure that if I'm susceptible to that new vulnerability and how do I immune myself from it as quickly as possible? That's how, and then you get the vulnerability management program up and running. So you can leverage the fact that you can see everything, all the assets you have, and you know their patch level. So hence, you know what software is installed on those machines as well. That, that way, when somebody comes in and goes, oh, you know, XYZ piece of software at version 1.3 is vulnerable, you have a way to easily scan your uh, software inventory across all your servers and across all your laptops and find out if you're, does anybody even run that? And if they do, um, where on your network is it and who has, who, you know, what assets does it have on it? And if you classify your assets into tiers of like tier one being the highest critical, tier four being, you know, you know, the janitor's laptop or something, um, in classifying those things, you can quickly then get to a point of you aren't becoming, you're working with the company to secure it rather than blanketing them with constant work. I think the security teams at a company at times get the name of like, they just give us work and don't really help. That's probably a little harsh of a wording. I don't mean it like that. I mean, it more like, you know, there's, isn't necessarily complete cooperation between the security team and the rest of the company. If you sit down and say like, hey, every time we get a vulnerability in, we're, we enumerate where that vulnerability exists. We then, you've then told us that these are critical assets. So therefore, uh, me telling you that one of your critical access has a security hole in it. Now I'm partnering with you rather than showing up, you know, at two o'clock in the morning and say, hey, you need to patch all these servers now without having the context and the background and that sort of thing. So it's just as important from a security leader's standpoint of make sure you have the programs in place, but also make sure that you're partnering with your company and with the organization and with the employees and with the customers so that you're viewed as the security team is viewed as helping the company move forward and helping the customer move forward, not something that's just providing work work for them to do. So then going back to, you know, all those different service providers and vendors, how do you decide, you know, and how long do you keep them and do you try new things? And I know it's expensive, you know, once you find something, are you kind of like, if it's not broke, let's not fix it, you know? So how do you stay ahead, you know, of all the emerging technology that's out there? That's a, that's a really And maybe good. not even ahead. Uh, how about just educated on it? You know, because yeah. maybe you could never get ahead of it, you know. Well, educated on it's definitely probably 
the right answer. I don't know if you can actually stay ahead of everything. I mean, maybe right. if you had an unlimited budget, maybe that's done it, but I've never yeah. <laughs> an unlimited budget. I've never worked at a company where I had the budget I wanted, but I think that's- Has anyone? It sounds like, like no one has. has. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, when you talk about what software you're going to work with, like another basic, you know, to stick with the theme of basics, like you have to have a third-party risk management program. Like this is where security and legal have to work together. If like the bigger the company gets, there's some procurement process that says, hey, I want to start using this software, right? I mean, and the larger the company gets, there has to be rules around those things. You know, you, you often hear like larger companies that just won't use like a startup's if they're going to put their critical information critical information on it like you're probably not going to see apple or the ibms of the world going to like the 60 day ago startup that does hr software right that's probably not going to happen because the 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 risk profile just doesn't even make sense like you have you know the 430,000 employees that you're going to put you know, their personal and private information into to a company that's only been around for 60 days or, you know, even for a couple of years, you know, you, you need to have those checks and balances in place. And it sounds silly, but like if you don't sit down and say, all right, part of the procurement process is, you know, if it has anything to do with employee information or customer information, we're going to give it to security and security is going to do a background check on that company. Also look at to see if that company's had any breaches in the past or had any security issues in the past, like, and making sure that's part of the decision becomes critical. And again, one of these basics that I think many times we overlook as we're chasing the cool AI stuff that just came out or the, you know, the cool graphic that some AI just generated about your network, that sort of thing. Those things are all cool. But you, if you don't do the basics, those are just cool things to look at. They don't really, they're not going to really enhance your security as a company. Are you the type of person, like when you were at our Phoenix event, did you go and talk to the different vendors to find out? A lot of CISOs don't like to, you know, we have those bingo cards and you can see, you know, I, I've had CISOs that have told me that vendor floor horrifies me. I'm not, I'm not going in there. You know, I'm like, come on, just go talk to them. Because we all know, you know, the aftermath, you, 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 we know that the CISO is inundated with, you know, people trying to get in touch with you so it's definitely a balancing act of like hey i should know about the new technologies and the new products that are coming about so i know whether or not to engage the negative side of that is the moment they engage and see your title they won't at least in my personal experience you know you're seven emails in and you haven't replied to a single one and you're like you know you get the some of them get really creative like are you still there and like they send pretty pictures and goofy gifts and you know, sometimes they're amusing, but I mean, as any executive, I think will tell you, or any VP at a larger company, if you were to answer every vendor email you ever got, you wouldn't do anything else with your job all day because we get tons and tons of them. But I do try to see like, I'll usually go out to the company's website and see if there's any advancements that they're working on or something that my, the company I'm currently working for has a distinct need for. And then I will reach out directly to them I will say that, you know, if it's just a big vendor floor and I'm just going to wander around, 
you know, especially if I'm wearing a badge that says CISO on it, I, I tend to <laughs> shy away from the, the, the places that I'm, I know I'm not going to be interested in, or at least I know I don't have a direct need for, even if I'm personally interested in it, because I'll do that, you know, in the privacy of my own home, looking at their website rather than, you know, because then they want to scan and you get emails and it's just, it, it turns into a time sink that you, you got to recover from. Well, William, again, who is our keynote speaker next week in um, Seattle? And he'll be so anyone out in Seattle. And again, you can catch our events in a hybrid mode. Um, he's speaking next week on elevating your cybersecurity program, key pri priorities for CISOs. But he just said it's hard to be a vendor and do the cold call and get someone's attention. It's hard. Hence the critical role of VARs as a channel for them, which is kind of interesting of ours because, you know, we turn a lot of people away from our events that are sales. And now after having this conversation with you, I'm starting to rethink, you know, some of the people that we should allow into the conference because they could be helping our vendors. Understood. And I, I agree with the gentleman's post. Like it is hard for, for, to get the attention. Um, and I, I, I honestly don't know how to solve that. Um, at, at a few places I've been at, both Warner Brothers and at GoDaddy, um, I did have a, a service where like once a quarter, someone would come back and go, hey, I represent all these companies and here's what their, here's their newest advances. Are you interested in any of those? And they would orchestrate the, the introductions. That worked really well because, you know, if I set aside basically a day once a quarter to sit down and go over everything and all the, you know, the vendors that I currently work with and any new vendors, this person would then communicate to me, like, here's the stuff that they have going on. So I could then pick and choose who to, who to meet with afterwards. That worked really well. Um, I don't know if that's frequent enough, but at, at GoDaddy and Warner Brothers, I, I had a, a service like that and it was fantastic. Well, for a while, probably all of 2023 and maybe some of 2022, I would wrap up the panel, you know, asking the panel how, you know, because, you know, our, our panel events are in the sponsor room, asking the same question, how can these sponsors get in front of the CISOs? The problem is every single CISO had the exact same answer, you know, <laughs> don't cold call me, don't set an appointment on my calendar, build a relationship with me. And it is just all, you know, it's hard. I, I wouldn't want to be a vendor. I wouldn't want to be doing what they're doing. It's it's hard to get in front of the right person. But but you know that's the whole adage of you know twenty percent of your sales force are the top you know ten five percent. Those are the people that know how to sell. So I would I would also say the other is true too. At least at least in the last six months, I have reached out to individual vendors and said like, hey, I need to talk to you because you have the product I need to fill this hole. And like one of them took over a month for them to get back to me. And I'm like, you know, if, if I didn't solicit to you, I'd probably get emails from you. But exactly. Now, so, I mean, I think the miss is on both sides, but it's it's just a difficult problem to solve. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is there. I think it's timing. It's being at the right place at the right time and being a hard worker, all that. You know, I've been a salesperson all my life and they always say, you know, hard work and timing, you know, equals luck or something like that, you know, and it really is. And we have vendors that come to our events and complain to marketing that it was a horrible event because 
They just sat and looked at their laptop the whole time. You know, if you're not going to try to engage with people, then how can you judge the event? You know, I know our events are great events. So I'm like, no, I don't think so. Let me show you who attended and, you know, something's going on with your rep, you know. So, you know, it, you, it's, it's just a... Yeah, but we do a good job at bringing the right people in. And is it is it valuable? Do you listen to your teams? Like, I know you have a smaller team now, but at GoDaddy, you know, did you use them as a resource for, you know, going to these events? And, and if they saw something that was going to work for you, I'm sure you would listen to what they had to say. Absolutely. I mean, anytime, uh, pretty much a standard leadership thing I do in any company I'm at is if, if, a, if more than a few people – uh, on my staff are going to a conference uh, reinvent. We just did this for back in November, um, Black Hat, um, even DEF CON. Um, when you go, like I do try to orchestrate up front, like who's going where and what are your purpose? And then always when we come back, I set aside a few hours so everybody can go over like, here's the things I attended and here's what we learned to make sure that we distribute that knowledge as much as possible because you can't send everybody, but you can distribute the knowledge to everybody as much as possible. So we're about down to three minutes, two and a half minutes left. What what last words of, you know, would you want to give our listeners as, again, remember, go back to the basics and do these things, you know, like this is this is what you should do today. Yeah, I guess a few things. One, um, get back to the basics, like make sure that you have all the basics covered and make sure that communication is part of that. Like if you're if you're a CISO or a security leader, take the time to explain to your employees why it's important and why you're taking the approach that you are. I mean, most people want to do the right thing if you explain what you're trying to accomplish. And I think sometimes we we leave off that communication bit so that we can so that we can get that force multiplication of getting more and more people understanding what the goals are. You can't just tell people like your password needs to be 12 characters, right? And you can but if you sat down and explained why, now you're going to get now you can turn some people that will maybe detractors into promoters if you use like the MPS type terminology, right? So that you can so and every time you get one of those promoters, they're going to help communicate that knowledge to the next person. And if you're a singular leader, you need that force multiplication of like I told these people, like of the ten people I told you, th- told three people really excited about it and became a promoter, and they told you know three more people, and then of those nine people I just got told, like two people echoed the message, and then like that that's how you get the message throughout the company. So communication and making sure the basis are in place, and making sure everybody understands what their responsibility is, and then focus on security maturity, like break it down into what is crawling mean for the company? What does walking mean for the company? What does jogging mean for the company? What does running and sprinting mean for the company? And if you break it into those as you communicate, then the company also sees how you get to, um, how you can get to the next level of security maturity and you can celebrate that together which will then reinforce again how you get to the next break point in maturity and you get to celebrate again, that sort of thing. So I'll well, turn it, it to you for the last couple of minutes. 
Well, it has been so nice having you on the show. I told you it would go fast. This this hour on Voice America always flies by. Demetrius Combs, who's the CTO over at Sovereign, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you back out in the industry and on the show again. Um, thanks, Demetrius. Everyone, thank you all for joining another episode of Ant Security for All. We will see you all next week. We're going to be in Seattle. So if you're in the area, stop by our event. Just um, look us up at futurecontevents.com. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.